my daughter. I then my daughter I had a daughter and she was grown, and she watched the movie Rain Man. And after she watched that movie, she began urging me to watch the movie. And it was from watching that movie that I recognized, aha, you know, Raymond is a more severely impaired version of me. Welcome to Adulting on the Spectrum. In this podcast, we want to highlight the real voices of autistic adults, not just inspirational stories, but people like us talking about their day-to-day life. Basically, we want to give a voice to a variety of autistic people. I'm Eileen Lamb, an autistic author and photographer, and I co-host this podcast with Andrew Camro. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Eileen. I'm an autistic entrepreneur, um, and today our guest is Charles Geese, born in New York City, went to college in Michigan for mathematics and currently living in Hampton, Connecticut. He is unlucky, like me in that regard, from being in Connecticut. Uh, he worked 45 years as a mainframe computer software engineer, currently serves as an elder with his Jehovah's Witness congregation in New Haven, Connecticut. Thank you for joining us today. Okay, my pleasure. So we like to start off our podcast where we ask each guest how they prefer to identify. And we don't mean pronoun she, her, uh, he, them, uh, although you're welcome to share that as well. What we do mean is a person with autism on the spectrum. I don't care. Uh, do you have a preference? And if so, what is it? I really don't care which uh, which terminology you use. Uh, you know, I mean, anything's fine with me. I think too much, too much of a fuss is made over labels. And we agree. And that's the answer we get most of the time. So thank you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your autism diagnosis journey? Like what led you to be to be diagnosed? Because you were diagnosed pretty late in life, right? Yeah. Uh, let me start out. Can I start off by talking about my childhood and about the missed opportunities uh, yep. then? But very little was known about autism then. And even much of what medical science thought it knew about autism was wrong. Like, uh, Bruno Bettelheim's refrigerator mom theory. Uh, you know, so maybe it's just as well I wasn't diagnosed then. But anyway, you know, some of the things showed up. I was I was way ahead of the other kids in math. Uh, at the time I started first grade, I could do you know, multiple digit multiplication, long division. I understood the concept of powers, things that first graders back then, I don't know about now, but back then first graders didn't know any of that. You know, they were doing good if they could add two and two. Reading and writing pretty, pretty well. I mean, it was my writing was mostly phonetic spelling. So, but you know, the thing is, I had difficulty socializing with other kids, and I tend to be very rigid in my understanding of things. There was a painful medical experience I underwent when I was six years old, when because I wouldn't drink out of any, I drank only out of glasses that had designs on them. I was running a low-grade fever and and had a sore throat. Anyway, the doctor back then doctors made house calls. The pediatrician put a glass of water on the floor next to the couch where I was laying and asked me to bend down and pick it up. Well, it was a plain glass, so I wouldn't pick it up. He and my mom both thought I couldn't pick it up. 
as he was leaving the house, I heard my mom say, <laughs> well, I guess you must have polio. Then in school, another problem came up. I had this idea that you can only use the school bathrooms during a class bathroom break. And so consequently, when particularly after they reduced the, the class bathroom breaks from two per four-hour day to just one, I sometimes wet or dirtied my pants in school. And you know, that drove the school to tell my mom that you need to take me to a, a psychiatrist. So my parents found this uh, child psychiatrist, and you know, my mom wrote him a long letter. She detailed all the oddities she'd observed in me. And I mean, there are other things that, that I didn't even mention. Time wouldn't permit here, but uh, she started out, though, with the issue that immediately drove her to take me to him. He apparently read just that first paragraph of the letter, and on that basis, issued a dismissive diagnosis, said it was all mom's fault, that she was obsessed with toilet training. But eventually led me to my diagnosis much later in life. My daughter, I then, my daughter, I had a daughter and she was grown and she watched the movie Rain Man. And after she watched that movie, she began urging me to watch the movie. And it was from watching that movie that I recognized, aha, you know, Raymond is a more severely impaired version of me. It's funny because most people don't identify with, you know, the movie Rain Man or a lot of most of the guests that we've had. Um, Eileen is not a math savant, but you did show a lot more, let's call them typical signs, right, of autism, things that can often be maybe stereotyped. Um, what drew you to math? Uh, I just... I just always, from the beginning, liked math. My mom told me, because I don't remember this, you know, as a child, I remember things that, that stand out to you as a child, not the things that, that are important to the adults around you. And so but my mom told me when I was four years old, I was playing with some toy bricks, and I started on my own just discovering one and one is two, and two and two is four. My mom started asking me addition problems, and she got me all the way up to four and five before I got that one wrong and said it was eight. But from that point on, my mom and dad both worked with me on the math. And um, you know, then at one point when I was five years old, I gave my dad this long thing to figure out. One of the things that was 76 to the ninth power. Well, my dad worked it out longhand in front of me. And 76 to the ninth power is 84 quadrillion, 590 trillion. Um, and, um, now I'm, I'm kind of getting it mixed up with another number and I'm, I'm getting, well, it'll come back to me the rest of it. But anyway, that's where it is anyway. And, and so I decided to start counting my 76s in the hopes of reaching that number. And I filled up reams of paper over the next three and a half years counting my 76s. I finally got bored and quit and I got up to, I think, 3,363,000. So that's an interest that you've had since you were, um, a little, a little child, uh, I assume. My, uh, my son uh, Jude is on the spectrum and is the same way. He, he knows like long division, long multiplication, and he can do like mental math in his head, like, like it's nothing. You know, he just knows. And uh, what Andrew was saying is true: is that that's actually you know not typical for many autistic people. Like. I can't do that. Um, I wish I could. Um, but it's interested, interesting that you had so many of those, I don't want to say obvious, but 
I want to use the word obvious signs, uh, and yet you were not diagnosed until uh, later in life. So what uh, what happened after you watched or your daughter watched the movie Rain Man and she recognized you in the character? And then what did you do? Uh, she began urging me to watch the movie and uh, without telling me why. Uh, uh, the, and finally, I was turning on the TV one time and the movie happened to be starting. So I said, Dorothy's been urging me to watch this movie. Let me see it. And it wasn't just the math. It was also other things like the way he reacted to a, a catchy commercial jingle. He began wanting to repeat it himself. And that's something I might have done. Um, you know, I'm... I would hear something that, that some catchy phrase or jingle or something, and I would want to repeat it. And, you know, there were things like that. And then, um, you know, while if I saw a sign change, you know, while I was crossing the street, change and walk to don't walk, I would know that you have to finish, finish crossing the street. But all the same, when Raymond stopped in his tracks when the sign changed from don't from walk to don't walk. I understood why he stopped, even though that's not something I would have done. I would have had enough sense of, of the purpose of the sign to know that you continue on across. How did you get into uh, being a mainframe software engineer? Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, I majored in math, and one term I took a course in numerical analysis well the first day of the class I said if you have never had Fortran programming go over into this other class and he'll teach you Fortran programming well they made the mistake of picking the most popular of the three professors that were teaching a class to teach that Fortran programming for the first two weeks and so a lot of a lot of students who knew it like the back of their hand chose to get in that line just so they could be in that class so other students were asking all these advanced questions. And and so finally, around midterm, I went to the professor and asked him, uh, asked him a series of, of stupid questions, and he answered them for me. And then I understood enough four-grand programming to get me through the rest of that term. And then I, I, after that, I decided, well, let me take some computer programming courses. And so I did. I took computer programming courses during my junior and senior years. And that proved useful because shortly after I graduated, there were massive layoffs in the aerospace industry, flooding the job market with experienced mathematicians and scientists. And so all of a sudden, the math became of little use in the job market because uh, employers will always take experience over somebody who's fresh out of college. So, uh, Instead, the computer programming was what eventually got me a job. And it took a while to get that first job because you know, I didn't have any good interview skills. Finally, one employment agency, the employment agency sat me down and told me all the things I'd been doing wrong in my interviews and gave me some tips on interviewing. And so after well, that, it was within what a were some of those tips? Well, like look the person in the face you know, and and a firm handshake and and uh, you know things about you know things not to say on the on the application like I don't need to go into all the into whatever organizations I might have been in in college you know they're they're interested in certain things also I came to realize the question about 
name the three most valuable courses you took in college. They want three courses that are related to the job you're applying for. Three least valuable, better to leave that blank because that's going to raise questions. They're going to, and best just to say, no, I didn't find anything that wasn't valuable. Can you share some uh, struggle you've had in the workplace um, and some challenges, some challenges you had to overcome and how you overcame those struggles? You know, getting to know the, the different personalities. And I remember one job, there was one guy who, you know, you had to go back to him when he, gave, he filled out a work order. He wanted, I want this done. I had to go back to him and ask, okay, this is what you said. Now, what do you really want? And get the real story from him because, uh, I'm, you know, one, one thing I just, I couldn't make sense out of it. So he had to go back to him. Another thing, it seemed to make sense. And I did what he said. And, and his boss said, it wouldn't accept it. Said so that's not what we want because you should understand. But we ask for this and this. We also want that. So not clear. I guess sending mixed signals. Um, that's something I struggle yeah. with too. I, I wish people were just say it as it is instead of just kind of saying it. So yeah, I I understand that struggle all too well. You know, another thing that's difficult is when in in life in general, not just at the workplaces. Uh, it's difficult because of our tendency to assume everybody's operating the same set of facts, especially tough when somebody's telling stories about us behind our back to figure that out because other people are acting as in a way that doesn't make sense and, you know, can't make sense out of it all. Well, you know, they're being told a story. We didn't know that. We had no idea. Uh, yeah. But I imagine you were pretty good at your job. You did it for 45 years. So once you were hired, I assume the employers liked, you know, that you focused on your work, uh, et cetera, correct? Yeah, and what's more, uh, you know, once I had somebody who knew what I could do, it was easy to get in the door someplace else. You know, when, when once someone knew what I had done, because in fact, the last two jobs, one that I stayed with for 12 years and the one that I stayed with for just shy of 24 years, both of those I I was invited to interview there by somebody that, with whom I had previously worked. These days, too, a lot of companies are recognizing the value of hiring workers on the spectrum. There's a lot of neurodiversity at work hiring programs. But even if a company doesn't have that, you know, we're seeing more and more, you know, employers start to, you know, recognize, you know, that somebody may not interview well, but that doesn't mean they can't do the job very well. Do you have any thoughts or, you know, any of those programs or companies maybe starting to realize that, um, you know, the person who may not do so well in the interview can, can in fact be a great employee? Well, the last place I worked toward the end, um, you know, one CEO really reached out to, to uh, like he reached out to a magazine that, uh, you know, is for, uh, you know disabilities and and um, you know even they interviewed me for that matter. I can't remember the name of the magazine now. You know, it's but they but uh, there were some efforts to to uh, take advantage of programs that encouraged employers to hire people with disabilities. But you got to realize at the time I got that job, um, I hadn't been diagnosed yet. When were you diagnosed? I was forty nine. Um, at the time I was diagnosed, see, my daughter was, was a grown woman by that time. And you know, after she encouraged me to watch that movie, watch the movie Rain Man, first I ran it by my mom and my sister. And I, I, called, I talked to my mom. I said, 
you may, this is going to sound crazy, but, and then I told her, and then she said, it doesn't sound crazy at all to her. It made sense to her. And then I told my sister, my sister's reaction was the same pretty much. And then I, I subsequently, uh, I, I, you know, read, well, right after watching the movie, I should backtrack and see, I looked at the, the uh, discussion of autism in the Mayo Clinic Family Medical Guide. And at the very end of it, the last couple sentences, it said there is also a milder form of autism whose main symptom is social awkwardness. Bingo. Um, and so then, then I talked to my mom, my sister, and a couple months later, I happened to turn on an NPR station when actually I was visiting my sister. Um, and they were interviewing Temple Grandin about her book, Thinking in Pictures. And so I, I listened to the interview and then I went and picked up the book and the book further added to my conviction that yes, I was on the autism spectrum and, and also and familiarize me with the terminology after time. Some of the terminology has changed, like now they don't normally say Asperger's syndrome, but I did then. Uh, and anyway, then I called the president of the local chapter of the Autism Society of America, and she put me in touch with a neurologist who specialized in autism, and he you know, just asked me some questions and confirmed, yeah, you're on the spectrum. How did you feel? Was it a relief? Yeah, it, it was good. And, it, you know, it's helped me to under, not only to understand myself better, but to understand better people who have other other issues. Um, you know, I remember uh, I was shortly after I was diagnosed that my first wife, Judy, died. And um, you know, I remember sitting outside at a repast, sitting outside her, the friend of hers that was was hosting the repast and talking with the lady who had been a friend of Judy's and mine for many years and we're talking at length I told her about my diagnosis and she told me she had you know, a form of, of dyslexia uh, and that helped us both to understand each other better she knew there was something different about me we'd known that all along and and then as she and I started dating i you know, I've, I've known her daughter for many years. And I, I got to observe some things about her daughter. Me, like her daughter had, had you know, ADD. As I could see, you know, I could see some things about her daughter. I realized Kim's got ADD and you know, it helped me understand her. Over the years, I've come to understand others. Like one lady was in my congregation. I was in Virginia. Um, I was talking with her, listening to some of the things she was saying. And I asked her, do you have have uh, SAD seasonal affective disorder? And she said yes, she did. I uh, I get that too, and I'm I'm glad I live in Texas now. I think that's why one of the reasons why Andrew was poking fun of you got of uh, you guys living in uh, Connecticut. The weather is uh, rough. Wow, well, Cindy uh, and I lived in Virginia when we were first married, and. Um, and then we moved to North Carolina for a couple of years and we got tired of the long summer. We actually like it better here. We have a balanced four seasons. Hmm. Yeah. I miss seasons too, living in Texas. The summers here are what are terrible. Like right now it's 105. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, the solution is think metric because in metric in Celsius, that's just 41. 
<laughs> I, I'm French, so yeah. Well, that doesn't sound so hot. Yeah, so you, you would know then. Yeah. yeah. I think think metric. I, I, I yeah. have everything in my phone. My device is set metric. My my driving app gives the distances and metric. Uh, my my uh, even measuring my weight, I measure in kilograms. I my weather app gives the temperature in Celsius. Interesting. You must be the only American to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. From trips to Canada, I decided I like metric better. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I feel like Americans are the only one who use something different. When I came here, I was like so confused with everything. It's been 11 years and I'm still like not super familiar with the whatever uh, you use for like pounds. Okay. But anything like... Uh, what is it called? Uh, miles and all of that. It's still to me, it's kilometers. That's how it's more natural to to my brain. Um, but it's I guess it's because you like math that you're okay with the metric system as an American. How do you like do the conversion in your head, or do you just like think metric? So you don't even have to convert. Yeah, I've I've gotten used to thinking metric. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, for me too, like I can kind of, for temperatures at least and weights, I can know in both units what it's, what it's like. Um, so, you know, religion and autism, some might say it's kind of counterintuitive, um, but I would love to hear more about your faith and... Uh, yeah, what do you want to share about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I mentioned just to I've been reading Temple Brandon's book that she's met people on the spectrum of all different religions. So, you know, nothing unusual about that. I became one of Jehovah's Witnesses when I was in college. Uh, a young lady called our door when I was on summer vacation, and you know, I began a Bible study. And then during my senior year, I was baptized. And you know, I've been one of Jehovah's Witnesses ever since. Um, you know, and, and you know, now I serve as an elder in the congregation. You know, I I regularly take take trips into New York. Although I have I'm not taking any this month because I've I've got other things going on, like visiting my daughter in Maine, and then I've got a, a week long school for congregation elders. But I normally go twice a month into New York and. We set up the literature carts and by one of the subway stations, and you know people come by and people come by and, and show an interest. We talk with them. You know I do that and you know, I regularly share and going door to door here in New Haven or 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 we set up literature carts in various public places here in New Haven. My wife and I do that regularly. Like yesterday morning before our meeting, we we set up a cart. Um, by a, an intersection where there's a Dunkin' Donuts um, in New Haven, and then after that we went to the Kingdom Hall, where I had I had door duty that day. Uh, you know, we have security measures at Kingdom Hall, just like at many other places of worship. You know, Jewish synagogues—they've been doing that for a while. Uh, you know, because of the dangers in today's world, so we have two men you know, washing the door at every meeting. Uh, going back to computers, something I like to talk about too. Uh, do you have any tips for anyone who 
is younger and would like to be a software engineer. Eileen probably didn't even know what Fortran is or was. Still is. Uh, it's still used. A lot of the insurance companies here in Connecticut still use Coval and et cetera, as I'm sure you know. But what advice would you give to somebody on the spectrum who wants to get into tech, tech coding, software development? That seems to be a common suggestion. Well, you know, of course, um, you know, look for courses in computer programming. And one thing I'll say about the mainframe world is that uh, because the distributed world has been so popular among people wanting to learn programming, you might do well these days to, to uh, you know, instead get training in mainframe computer programming and you know, COBOL and, and you know, uh, the, the uh, IBM uh, mainframe assembler programming because there's a need, the last I heard at least, there was a need for people in that area First, maybe best thing, talk with some people in the industry and find out what the industry is looking for now because things change so rapidly that what there was a need for yesterday, there might not be a big need for today. And you don't necessarily need to go to college to get into computer programming. There are technical schools that, that teach computer programming. So there's that option too to keep in mind. I wanted to, to ask you, because you've experienced a great deal of loss in your life. Uh, you said you had two wives that passed away. Can you share yeah. about gr grieving and how you, you coped? I mean, that's a lot. In the case of Judy, you know, we knew for years, you know, she, she had an eating problem. She ruined her health with overeating. She at one point was extremely obese. During the last two years of her life, she actually managed to lose quite a bit of that weight, but the damage was done. So, you know, I, we kind of knew it was coming. And you know, my daughter and I, you know, were a source of comfort to each other. Uh, and our faith also was a source of comfort to us. Uh, the belief that, you know, she's sleeping and one day she will wake up. You know, there won't be all the problems that we have in the world at present. I remember when Judy was on her deathbed, I visited her in the hospital. We pretty much knew she was on her deathbed. She was in a coma. She couldn't have been aware of my presence, but I spent the morning by her side. We had our meetings in the afternoon at the time. Another congregation had our kingdom hall in the morning. But anyway, as I, I, I grabbed some lunch and went to our meeting, as I walked from my car to the kingdom hall, they made an announcement about Judy in the morning meeting. And so friends from that congregation are coming up to me and expressing their condolences. And as I entered the Kingdom Hall, uh, Kim, who was in that congregation, uh, intercepted me and told me there was somebody outside waiting to see me. And I knew right away who it was, her mother, Eloise. So I went out with her to the car and Eloise spoke a few words of encouragement. And Kim later said that a matter of she sensed the electricity between her mom and me or knew where things might be going. Sure enough, you know, the next week we had that conversation outside Judy's friend Maureen's house. And, and then, you know, we, they called each other occasionally. And then end of September, I said, I called her up and told her that my company was going to be sending me to a class at their headquarters on Long Island in the, uh, the fourth week of October. And I said, I'd like to come up to New Haven and visit the weekend before that. Well, now she became determined to talk me out of coming. And so 
But she gave me her mother's number and her work number. So now I could reach her any time of day. And we started talking every day. And in two weeks, we found ourselves falling in love with each other. And I, I told her I loved her. The next day, I came home from work. And she had left a, a love song in their answering machine. And, you know, um, within another couple of weeks, we were engaged. We went to met it at her friend's Aquanetta's apartment in New York City. And we went out to dinner and Broadway show to celebrate our engagement. Then the next six months were spent planning our wedding and we got married the following April. And, you know, the grief with her, Helois's death on the other hand, came as a surprise. She went in the hospital for hip surgery. Her general state of health wasn't very good, but still we thought that when the doctor said the surgery went well, from that point on, you know, one of the things, again, related to autism, once you tell me something, put an impression in my mind, it's very difficult to shake that impression. So when she began having different problems after that, difficulty keeping food down, um, you know, they had to transfer to the, not the ICU, but something that would just be below that, you know, just be below that in terms of critical care. I still didn't get it that, that you know, she had uh, incurred an infection in the OR and, you know, and it was developing into sepsis. And uh, anyway, she died from that. And that was a surprise. But Kim had come, Kim by that time had moved to North Carolina, but she had come up to, to take care of her mom, expecting to take care of her mom after she got out of the hospital, out of rehab. But now instead she was there with me and we were, yeah, putting the funeral together and she and, and her son Donovan were there and, and but Kim and I were a source of comfort to each other and Dorothy who had moved to Hawaii by that time she came and visited us she, she came by to, to be there for the funeral and she came too and so you know I had a lot of company to be a comfort and again I had my faith as a source of comfort but Cindy it wasn't until several months after that that I began realizing that this coming home to an empty apartment night after night was getting old fast. And then I began praying about for direction on this. And I eventually settled on Cindy. I had known Cindy. I met Cindy when I was first dating Helois. She and Cindy were good friends. I eventually called her up and said, I'd like to get better acquainted. And we started talking every day. Pretty soon, again, we found ourselves falling in love. We I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. And, and we were planning our wedding from that point on. We got married in March of 2012. We discovered one one interest we have in common: a game I learned in college. Uh, I learned how to play bid whist when I was in college, and it was some years after that that I got to eventually found people who played it again. And and uh, Cindy plays bid whist. So just just the other day we visited. A friend of hers, friend of hers, invited us over and, and invited another guy over, and, and we played, and we had a great time there too. You know, Cindy and I are enjoying our life together. The picture that's in my bathroom that was taken one time. We went out to dinner at this restaurant, and that's by Long Island Sound in East Lyme, Connecticut. That's such a nice uh, story for your background. So it's kind of like you're still sitting at that restaurant. <laughs> When you're on Zoom. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> that's sweet. Oh, well, I'm glad you had support because that's a lot for to, to go through. And, you know, I know that's what happened when we get older, but I'm sure it was, was difficult. 
Um, I'm going to ask you some uh, quick fire questions now. Actually, first, do you want to? Oh yeah, I know you. You're on the on social media a little bit. Do you want to share uh, with our uh, listener where they can find you on social media? The one I mostly interact with is Facebook. I do Instagram occasionally, and Twitter I use only for this. This game I play called Lexless is an online word game. And when I score a bingo, that's when you use seven letters, seven of your letter letter tiles. Then I I share that on Twitter. That's the only thing I use Twitter for. Okay, so final final stretch. Just a few uh, quick fire questions. Are you ready? Sure. What's your favorite animal? I guess maybe my favorite animal is the donkey. I can ride a donkey. What's your favorite New Haven pizza? Well, of the ones we've tried, Costa pizza is the, the one I like the best. Now, I recently, we were going to order a pizza to, for a takeout. I tried to order from Pepe's Pizza. That's the most famous one on Wooster Street. And I tried to order one from Sally's Pizza. Both of them, in the order, ordering process, I got a run around. And so finally, I gave up and ordered from Costa, which is good. And we like that. We also like Paul and Eddie. You forgot my favorite, uh, Zoo Parties. Never heard of that one. Yep. So that's that's in West Haven. So I don't know if it really counts. but That's why I wouldn't have heard of it, because we're on the east side of New Haven. Uh, yep. East side of Haven, I should say. And along State Street. So... You know, just a block uphill from State Street. Who is your favorite actor? Um, you know, I don't really pay too much attention to actors and actresses in movies. Um, you know, so it's hard to say if I have a, a favorite one. I guess maybe I, I would have to take as my favorite one, Andy Griffith. Favorite food? My favorite food, lobster. What's your favorite color? Green. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we love yes, thank you. Sorry, and yeah, thank you so much, uh, Charles, Charlie. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Call me anything except late for dinner. <laughs> I gotta, well, you all have a good evening. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.